Good day, good day, one and all. My name is Daniel Gardner and you have downloaded the latest instalment of Witch Car Weekly. Or that's not necessarily the case. You might have downloaded this one and we've recorded 75,000 after this one. Because that's the beauty of a podcast, isn't it? You can download them whenever you like. And I wholeheartedly encourage you to do so. We've got plenty out there now. This is number 15. So we are well into our talk topics, which cover all of the things that we didn't manage to get to in the week that was the motoring world. I do, of course, love talking about uh, all of the stuff that's gone down this week with some wonderful motoring people. Joining me uh, this week, we have the fabulous. We've got the regulars. This is this is, yeah. this is my favourite way to do this. We love having guests in, but um, Scott Newman. Associate, um, oh gosh, associate editor of Motor Magazine. Uh, this always confuses me because, of course... Fifteen weeks in, and we're no, it's because still... we've got you, um, an associate editor, and then we have Andy Enright, who is deputy editor. Hello, I'm Scott Newman. I'm associate deputy editor, thingamabob of yeah. Motor Wheels. And something. then I, and one of the first questions I asked in Which Car Weekly is, "What is the difference?" And no one could give me a definitive answer because we don't know. No. Do you have anything to add to that, Andy Enright, deputy editor of Wheels Magazine? Not as such. I think they're largely the same function, and Scott and I do the same thing. You say potato, I say potato. Yeah, well, okay. I can only aspire to be some form of editor at some point, because (laughs) I'm just a lowly journalist. No, you're a senior journalist. I don't really like that, because it makes it sound like I'm old. (laughs) Which, of course, I am, but let's skim over that very nicely. On today's chat, SUVs that surprise us. Andy solves F1's woes and pieces of eight spark a crash diet for JLR's fat local lineup. What does all that mean? I have no idea. That's why we're doing the podcast, to find out. Kicking off this week, guys, let's talk straight away about surprising SUVs. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this is because I picked up my long term review car this week, which is a Porsche Cayenne e hybrid. So the Cayenne launched a few months back in Australia. I was lucky enough to be at its international launch in a place called Crete, which no one knows where that is. It's in near Greece, isn't it? Unless you're Pom, like Andy, because then it's like... It's a... Yes, it is. It is. Because you're a man of the world, Scott. I'm just nodding smugly over in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now the uh, the latest variant addition to the KN uh, range in Australia is the e-hybrid. So the significant thing with this car is that there's no diesel in the KN range anymore. No. And the Porsche is saying that the equivalent, the one that replaces that car, is the e-hybrid because it's very uh, efficiency and economy focused, but still allows a good dose of performance as well. You say that, but it's actually quite grunty, as I'm sure you're about to explain to us. Like, it's, it is an e-hybrid, but it's not solely focused on efficiency. It can be efficient, yeah, but it's still got... Juicy performance goodness, isn't oh, it? Oh, God, I love it when you say that. <laughs> um, and this is the whole message that Porsche is desperate to get across, is that anything it does with a hybrid powertrain and, for that matter, into full electrics, which, of course, we're getting with the... What's it called? The... Taycan. 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 It's as much focused, if not more so, on being fun to drive and performance as it is... Um, you know, cars like the Prius started the whole hybrid revolution, but those cars were obviously very focused on efficiency and not being particularly good fun to drive. Porsche's- so I've got this car for six weeks, and this is the first week I've had it. And I have to say, I'm overwhelmingly surprised by it for a number of reasons. What are they, Dan? 
I'm glad you asked. So the, the key thing with this is it's a plug-in hybrid. It's not a mild hybrid. So you have a battery somewhere in the car which you can charge up at home out of a standard charge socket. You can have a fast charger, but it's not much point because it's only a relatively small battery. So it charges just fine overnight and even quicker. Um, and you get 50Ks of pure electric range out of the KN, which is pretty impressive for a 2.2-ton SUV. Is that going to cover your commute to work, do you think? Well, this is the interesting thing. Today is the first day I've actually managed to get to work a distance of 19 kilometers on exactly half a battery. So oh. if I drive really carefully home again and don't use the air conditioning, I will probably make it home without having to charge the battery at work. This is smug, sweating wreck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> Doing 50 kilometers an hour But everywhere. you don't, but that's the beauty of a FEV. That's exactly right. Exactly you do, right. There's no sweating, there's no anxiety, there's nope. no angst. Because if I do feel the urge to switch it into sport or sport plus mode and completely destroy something at the lights, which you'll quite happily do because as you say, Scotty, it is pretty grunty, then I have a petrol V6 there with a turbo ready to do all the things that normal petrol-y cars do. But then when I'm being sensible again, it's back to electric. So, so far, the, the, the idea is working. I might actually be able to do a full week's commuting without using a single drop of petrol. That is the first thing that's so surprising about this car. The other thing is that for the rest of the time, it is every bit as good as another KN um, in the range. And that is luxurious, it looks great, goes well, wonderful interiors, and I'm just so happy I've got this car for six weeks. But as we were saying just before we started recording, Andy, this is the, of all the cars I've ever had, this is the one I really want to have for longer than the usual customary week because yeah. I need to know if the whole plug-in hybrid thing works. Do you know what I found surprising about that car? I drove it uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, the car I had had a sports exhaust fitted to it. And there I was, just rolling around under electric power, like gliding along, sneaking up on people. Um, and all of a sudden, the car would decide, oh, we need the engine now. And it would go, <laughs> boom! boom! <laughs> it, would, it would absolutely terrify me at, at key points. And all bystanders. Yes, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know if Dan's one does, but uh, that might be something he has to look forward to. tool for sneaking up on people. Mine, unfortunately, has the standard exhaust. I would love a sport. It's interesting that you can uh, option it with a sport exhaust. That's, that's a good thing. No, I, think, I think the standard exhaust is the go in this instance. yeah yeah exactly because this is not there's plenty of other variants in the range if you are after a, a, a more ostentatious version of the KN, there's the turbo obviously there's the s and even the the base just KN is actually really impressive for the uh, turbo v6 um yeah so one of the things you quite rightly established and is sneaking up on people is great fun but when you really do need to get them out of the way it can be a little bit frustrating but i'm looking forward to giving updates as i go with my new long term um but this got us talking about surprising SUVs. We've gone from a time when all of us said SUVs are nowhere near as good as they, their sedan and passenger equivalents to the point now where actually we're all starting to drive cars that are really surprising. We talked recently about the Urus, didn't we? The, yes. That is a, a hugely surprising SUV. But we're not going to talk about that this week. We're going to talk about other SUVs that su have surprised you, gentlemen. Who would like to weigh in first? Uh, well, I was weighing in first because uh, it's fresh in my mind, having been out this, this very morning. And over the last few days, I've been in a BMW X5 M50D. Uh, so I've been commuting back and forth in that uh, for a few days, but took it out for a proper drive this morning, and that really surprised me. So this is uh, this is the latest X5, and it is the top-tier diesel engine. It does have an M badge on it. It's an M performance product because it has three liters, 
six cylinders and four turbos. Wait, can we just recap on that last number then? Yes, four turbos. So one talking... for each passenger almost. Right. So until now, as far as I know, a Bugatti is the only thing that's really had four turbos in production form. I think that's right. Andy? It's the only one that springs to my mind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I think about that, I, the cost of future servicing makes my blood run cold. But nonetheless, <laughs> I cannot fault its efficacy because this is a diesel engine which has 294 kilowatts, 400 horsepower, a whole shed load of torque. I can't actually remember how much, but it must be like 750 newton meters, yeah, 800 yeah. newton meters. Several. Yeah, several. Many. <laughs> Plenty. Um, and it goes. Like, it's... Uh, again, I should have looked up the stats. I can't, but it must be zero to one hundred in under five seconds. It is seriously pacey. That is staggering. It's a bit weird to drive because it's it's really fast, but it's got this narrow window like all diesels. So it's kind of like driving X five M while you're running it in. Even if you go full throttle, <laughs> you have to change up at like four and a half. So you just start to get going, and oh, I need another gear. Oh, I need another gear. But you do have to kind of change the way you drive. If you yes. if you if you are long term or just owner of a diesel. You do just change the way you yeah. approach driving. And, and you do... It's just like short-shifting everywhere, That's as you right. say. Um, and riding that wave of torque is wonderful. And in that car, you get a massive wave of torque. You do. As you say, four turbos, though. I mean, they are not cheap items when no. it comes to designing and developing an engine. So I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't believe it got past the the cost, the supplying supplier costs. Like How much does an X5 M50D cost? $150,000. Right. I would say approximately $149,000 of that car is its turbos. Well, possibly. Yes, you'd know better than me. But um, I didn't actually want to talk about this diesel engine because what really surprised me when we were going along, although I will say that the diesel engine, the flip side of that is it still gets amazing economy. You can get like a 1,000 kilometers plus still out of this tank with 400 horsepower. So that's great. But First corner I pitched into, I'm like, oh, here we go, SUV, let's see what it's like. And I was like, oh, this is really good because they've got the diff set up worked out now. So it's got this lovely rear drive bias. Okay, you're still sitting up high, it's still heavy. If you really try and punt it like a sports car, like it's an M5, you're going to be a bit disappointed. But you can still drive it really quickly and have a smile on your face. You sort of get into the throttle mid-corner and it pivots the rear around nicely and you go, hey, I'm having fun. In- so it's, is it... Like like the Porsche, is it? It is rear end biased. Yes, absolutely. Like mm. if you hold that, th- like you'd know There's in your line Porsche. I should have heard in my head if before you, I said it. If you hold like a steady, th- you know, steady throttle or progressive throttle, and don't spook it into giving the front too much drive. Yeah. It'll hold this beautiful sort of like quasi-oversteer stance in corners. But you see, I should imagine for a majority of the time, people who don't have your deft control of virtually every vehicle you get your hands on, then it'll be very easy to pitch a large SUV with a huge amount of engine weight at the front, right over the front axle, to just understeering into nothingness. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like I say, if you do expect it to be... Like even even like a Golf R or something like that, it's just you've got too much weight. But if you just bring yourself back a little bit, make sure the front sticks, mm. and you can actually use the throttle to steer the car, which is, I think is why everyone likes rear-wheel drive. That's yeah. why people love sports cars, because you do have these options in how you drive it. And traditionally, SUVs haven't had that, but now this new wave, the KN, this, and maybe the car Andy talks about, it does give you those options in how you want to drive it. Speaking of which, got anything you'd like to weigh in on this one, Andy? Yeah, I've, I've kind of got the podium of, of the SUVs. That, uh, oh, someone yeah, has prepared more than us. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Jeep Trackhawk. Obviously, I've got to mention that car. It's just the most idiotic thing, but huge, huge fun. <laughs> if you ever, ever get a chance to drive a Jeep Trackhawk on dirt, I urge you to take it because 
you'll laugh until you almost puke. <laughs> That's what I like out of every, any good weekend. Yep. Second one, GLC 63S AMG from Mercedes. Oh, that's a good one. I now, like that, that, I like that in, because it does exactly what you were talking about the BMW. It'll oversteer. You can, mm. you can peel out, out of corners like it's a Mustang. And again, huge fun. Very it feels extra naughty when you do that in the SUV, yes. doesn't it? Yeah, it feels so <laughs> wrong. Um, not to 103.8 seconds, but... Again, that's, that's a blinder. That's seriously yeah, quick. But that's 165 grand again. It's it's an expensive Ooh, car. Okay. So the car I'm going to choose as the cheap SUV that is surprising is the Holden Equinox 2 liter T. Oh my god. Now this is just Hang on. Is this No, you always got to take everything Andy says with a pinch of salt because Wake up audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we carry on? Okay, I'm... we'll hear him out. We'll hear yeah, him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got your chance. This thing is dirt cheap. It's 37 grand. Right. But you get 188 kilowatts in the thing. And it's surprising. <laughs> oh, all right. See that, that, is, that is exactly the same as a 2012 2.9987 Boxster. So <laughs> you've got a hell of a lot of grunt there for that money. And it looks so boring. <laughs> and you can just demolish people. And they never, ever see it coming. It's a brilliant, brilliant Q-Con. I take my hat off to Holden for plugging that engine It's into like it. the old Orion thing that, you know, you're in this grandpa spec thing, but you've got a car that will do exactly. rolling burnouts in third gear because it's got so much grunt fed to the front wheels. Yeah. Right, well, to balance out the Equinox's ego, I have another surprising thing about that car that I'd like to weigh in with. You think it's going to be like any other four-wheel drive SUV worth its salt and uh, have permanent four-wheel drive, but it doesn't. It's got four-wheel drive that you have to engage. Oh. Yeah. Do you have to get out and lock the hubs? Well, pretty much. It's like it's got a crank (laughs) handle to start it. and Yeah, so you get in it thinking, this is great. This is just like all the other sophisticated SUVs. It's not. You've got to actually select four-wheel drive when you need it. It's not full-time. When your front tyres have uh, immolated themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> exploded from all those yeah, torques. That's right, because it's massively overpowered. <laughs> good, so like, good, uh, good suggestions there, guys. Good check, guys. Yeah, Thank nice. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. <laughs> um, yes, and coming up a little bit later, we do have plenty of other good things to talk about. Um, Scotty has driven something with also with far too much power mm. and the steering wheel on the wrong side yes. and on a racetrack because it's the only way you're allowed to legally do it in Australia. But we're going to get back to that a little bit later. In the meantime, I would like to talk now. Last time we uh, were together, gentlemen, uh, we were green with Envy and his latest overseas trip to the UK and Germany, um, courtesy of Mercedes-Benz. He told us about some of the amazing machinery he drove and uh, was driven around in. But what we didn't get a chance to get to was your visit to the F1 factory. Yes, indeed. The Mercedes F1 factory at Brackley. We... We turned up there. Um, it was uh, quite a late arranged thing. So we arrived and uh, a guide popped up and he told us to tape over our phone cameras as is the usual procedure at these places. Yeah. But he also said that uh, we weren't allowed to use his name. So it was, it was all really cloak and dagger. I thought he was wow. going to get, get one of those little things from Men in Blackout and, and like erase our <laughs> yeah. memories after we walked around there. But it was an absolutely fascinating insight into you know how they build Lewis Hamilton's car. And it's... Excuse me, Scotty, but this is going to be a lot of the stuff that I know you hate. Like, porn. Yeah, I can picture you sitting yeah. here saying, oh, "That's exactly what's wrong with it." <laughs> Man yells at clouds. Yeah. But uh, yeah, some of, some of the quotes that he was coming out with were just like, "Oh my god!" You know, you think, "How do, how are they doing this?" They've got this 
enormous coterie of eggheads with you know phds <laughs> from harvard yeah. and mit yeah. and all that sitting in this room designing things but uh, he was saying stuff like um we get gps data from all the teams if lewis wants to see the data from the last 50 exits from a corner by Vettel, we can give him that information. Wow. So that he can see exactly where he's going on what surface on what tyre, and they can extrapolate like virtual like power. That's that incredible. The, the Ferrari, for instance, or the Red Bull car is making. Um, and it's just fascinating. We, we walked into this control room that they have in there. They can only have 60 people at the track at each race who can materially affect the performance of the car. So they have many more oh. sitting in sitting in a room at Brackley. So they're limited to that. Yeah, they? they're not allowed that, that anymore. That is an FIA stipulation. Oh, interesting. And uh, how do they get by? Sixty people. I know. Mm. Forty tons of gear per race. Yeah. Oh. So this room is is packed with people, and they've got this wall of uh, screens, and uh, they use these Tata subsea like fiber optic cables to carry data from the races to this room, and Australia because we've got the magnificent NBN, is 0.4 seconds <laughs> delay. But everywhere else in the world is 0.1 second delay. And anyone in the room can press a button and talk to the driver. Um, yeah. Only the race engineer is yeah. allowed to do that, but they, they can. They can break in and, and talk to the driver. But if you, if you say it's a live stream, you'll, you'll get some engineer going, no, it's not. It's not 0.1 second delay. It's <laughs> <laughs> very classic engineer. They've got yes. 0.1 second yeah. to bleep out all the swear words. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's so cool. You walk around this site, and it, it's, it's a legacy. If you follow like, the history of the Mercedes F1 team, you'll probably know that it started out as Tyrrell, then went to BAR, and then it was Honda, and then for one year, it was Braun GP when they won the title, and then Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were telling us how penniless the Braun GP were, team were. And they said, basically, um, the quote was, we had such little money as Braun GP that had Red Bull just bumped a few of our front wings off in practice, they'd have won the title because we oh. didn't have the funding to replace them. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, Isn't that amazing? They were absolutely... On their up. See, that answers the question road. to me. You, you know, you, we see all this this level of secrecy all the time in the industry where we work in, whether it be production cars or race cars or concepts. You know, I often ask the question, do they really need to be that secretive about what they're going to launch next and, you know, what they're developing? <clears throat> there is a great example of just why it's so important to keep everything under wraps because everything is potentially an advantage to your rival. Yeah. Ross, if they'd known that, can you imagine? <laughs> they would have done it, wouldn't they? They'd yes, have been out on the track absolutely. and they just would have applied the brakes a little yep. bit yeah. stern yeah. and that would have been it. Two Awful, nice sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, you're fine though, aren't you? You've got yeah. plenty of those, but in the back. That's right. Actually, no, they don't. <laughs> but you, you wander around the place and they, they come out with stuff like they've got this huge wind tunnel that they can put a full-size car in. They're only allowed to put 60% scale cars into these things, apparently. 2.2 megawatt Do they have fan. to have really tiny drivers as well? <laughs> yes, dwarfs. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, God. Gimli's. And um, yeah, they, they, they have this 2.2 megawatt fan. It's so powerful that they've had to seismically isolate the wind tunnel because the first time they switched it on, the whole complex there went everyone's screen started shaking Um, localised earthquake in Brackley the the, the FIA keep a watch on this because there's apparently on a seismograph? yeah no (laughs) a big limit on on how much wind tunnel work they can do and how much um, CFD like which is like virtual wind tunnel Mm -hmm. with a computer and and, uh, they they keep cameras on the wind tunnel at all times and on the one at Toyota Cologne mm-hmm. and Ferrari and really like yeah yep, so they, they've got they've got big brother access to yeah, their yeah, development mm-hmm. facility they make them watch and uh, you just you just see these cars and you just think what are they doing with these cars you see these guys like 
with stuff on their screens like flanges so that they're they're turning over you just wanted to sneak the word flange into the podcast yes (laughs) why don't we start talking about you know cocks which of course i'm talking about the tap Yep. You know, and all the, all those kind of, you know, excellent engineering words that sound naughty but aren't because they're real engineering words. <laughs> Is that the only reason you did engineering? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, the, the complexity of these things, like Nico Rosberg's uh, car that he won the 2016 World Championship in, they had that in the foyer. And the front wing on that is composed of 290 separate parts. And it takes 50 man hours just to paint it's just rammed with sensors yeah. it's got sensors that look at the front tyres and so in real time when the car comes past the pits they can tell the temperature of the time when it's going to blister and all that sort of stuff that's, and it, and it all, comes, all comes back to Brackley how right? does anyone lose? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I don't know. The, one of the most amazing things I saw in there was the parts department and it's just like uh, is it like you know, a local repco? Yeah, like a repco. Is there some it's... dude smoking, leaning on the counter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah there, there was some Never dude... heard of that one, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. We'll have to get it in. Yeah. <laughs> there was some dude behind the counter who looked like that. But the best thing about it is when the parts department closes, when old mate knocks off and goes home, they've got vending machines, a row of vending oh, machines wow. with the most popular parts in them. So you could just go up, like, you're ordering a Snickers bar. Like, I need a front wing end plate. And, uh, I need a that's what Braun GP needed. Yeah. <laughs> the track. It's a, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. There's so much wow. I could talk about there um, that I probably don't have time for. No, but it's all going in your yeah. book. But why I get so wound up about this is because what everybody loves about motorsport is the vari- variability. It's why all rain races are great. It's mm. why V8 supercars is great racing because you never know, everyone's really close. And Mercedes, when they've got this level of budget, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, they can control all the variables, yeah. all these people. Yeah. And then in doing that, you re- eliminate any of the you know any of the variables, any of the suspense, any of the excitement. So it is amazing. It is fascinating. But it's also totally pointless. Yeah. Well, it's okay because Andy's got a way that he's going to cure F1 of all of its woes. Well, maybe not all, but some of them. You see, I've come up with a a little plan um, that needs to be written into the next Concord Agreement. And um, (laughs) basically, it's you make the team's second driver change his name by Depol to one of the major sponsors or suppliers. (laughs) And this has has three... (laughs) Three key um, benefits. Oh, um, please, I cannot One, it lets him know this. where he stands. Um, and it's vaguely dehumanising, so, which is good. So take him down a peg Dehumanising. The final line yeah. between dehumanising and humiliating. Yes, carry yeah. on. Yeah. Um, it, develop, it delivers extra value for the commercial partners, obviously. And um, most importantly, it generates some much better racing driver names, which, which frankly we need. Some you examples, know, please. Alfa Romeo. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Antonio Giovinazzi. All, all, all the... All the commentators are falling over themselves with that name. Antonio Carrera is a much better racing driver. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. McLaren, Lando Logitech. <laughs> Lando Norris just doesn't work for me. It doesn't, just doesn't No, scan. Norris is not it's a awful. sexy name. No. I don't know if you guys know this being expats, although you've both been here a while, but that actually happened back in the day with a Geelong AFL player, mm-hmm. uh, Gary... Not Gary Ablett. It was uh, Gary Hocking or something like that. I'm sorry, I know nothing about AFL. But I do remember that he changed his name to Whiskers, as in the cat food. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yep. No word of a lie. Why? Oh. Because they paid him money. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, we're, miss- we're missing the obvious one, which is Wincup. 
Yes. Yeah, how good is that That's for a, a racing driver name? name. That's yeah. Right. Scott yeah. Speed, he had a great racing driver <laughs> name. There you go. But carry on. Sorry, have you got any other... Yeah, Lance Bombardier. At <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Racing Point. We all uh, think Lance Stroll is a terrible racing yeah, driver name. It's a bad you name. You want a Stroll? Um, you want to f- No, fly? you want to go Hul- a bit Hul- Hulkenberg is not a great racing name either. I prefer Nico Lecoq Sportif. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and bringing up the rear at the back of the field is poor old... Robert Rexona of Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Rocket. Oh my Williams god! Racing. That so is it, golden. If, I, this it, could, yeah, this could work. This I could think take off. If any. you have any suggestions of better racing driver names, as dictated by their sponsors, do drop us a line. You can get in touch at whichcar.com.au and all our social media pages. There, we'd love to hear them. <laughs> But one more subject we have time to talk about, Scotty. You this week have got your hands on a very special bit of Jaguar hardware, a vehicle that for many, many months uh, just looked like it was going to be um, in the realm of concepts permanently. Mm -hmm. But it has been confirmed now that you will be able to buy one. It is, of course, the Project 8. Yes, so this is the uh, latest work of Jaguar's special special vehicles division. Uh, Essentially, it's a super track-focused, hardcore sedan. It's a t- You take an XC, pump out the guards, put sticky tyres on it, massive carbon brakes, and install the 5-litre supercharged V8, 441 kilowatts, 700 newton metres, 0 to 103.7, 322 flat out, 7 minutes 21 around the Nürburgring, fastest four-door production car. Left-hand drive only because it was only going to be sold in Europe. Mm. They're going to make 300 of them. And now they've opened it up to markets, having sold about 200 in Europe, mm-hmm. which is nice, but it does lead to the conclusion that perhaps they couldn't sell all 300 in Europe. Ah. Um, so they brought one out for the Formula One GP, and there's one in Dubai as well. They're trying to sell a few there. Uh, and they kept it on and let a few media drive it, including myself. So I drove it out at Sandown with poor Mr. Tony D'Alberto quaking next to me as an instructor <laughs> in the seat. Um, it was funny, though. We went out, we did it as part of a Jaguar sort of customer track day. So I'd gotten out of a F-Type V6. Quite a nice car, reasonably pokey. But when you step into an XE Project 8, suddenly you're going at a lot, a lot higher pace. They actually had an XE Sport 300 there, their new model, which is actually a really lovely car and a racetrack mm. or on the road. It's a really nice car. But the Project 8 has exactly double the amount of power. Oh, so perfect then. That... The regular mm. cars. So, yeah, so we're doing 180 and then the back straight in the Sport 300 and 240 in the Project oh. 8. Um, it's 350 grand, 325 grand for the four seat one or 350 for a two seat, which gives you a roll cage and carbon, um, sexy carbon buckets. Why would you buy, why would you spend all that money it's on a, a car that claims to be the fastest sedan around the Nürburgring and then take out the bit which makes it a sedan? Well, because you can only use it on a track, so you might as well make it on as track-focused as possible. But then why don't you just buy a coupe or something that's... Well, the qu- that's the question, isn't it? Why would you spend that on when you could buy a GT3? And so this comes back to the point. You're saying that you suspect they've been offered to other regions of the world because they can sell them all. Well, that's exactly why they can't sell them all. It's because they're too bloody expensive and it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's that was kind of Mercedes's logic with that AMG GTR Pro, that it was a hugely expensive version of the AMG GTR. Mm. Um, and it was a track-biased car and... They would probably only ship ten or twelve of these very expensive track bias cars here in Australia, so they they decided not to take it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm glad they've offered it though because 
if you did have like stupid amounts of money, it is cool. Like everyone else, you go to a track day, everyone's got a Jetty 3. True. And this thing is properly potent. It's like super fast, good brakes on it. It feels a bit weird to be driving a four door track focused car. Yeah. And, you know, it's not as sharp as like a coupe or something like that, but it does, it's all drive, so it does rocket out of turns. And me being the, you know, the, the tart that I am, it looks fantastic. It looks amazing. It looks really? amazing. These big pumped guards and fat tires and stuff like that. Um, so I can kind of see, you know, they probably only sell, want to sell one or two. And if you're a jag nut and you want something different, then why not? But it would work a lot better overseas if you could drive it on the road because I suspect it would actually be awesome on the road. Uh, we will. We just can. We can only dream because, of course, it'll never hit the road in Australia. Being yes. left-hand driver only. But while you were there, just just quickly before we finish up, Scotty, you did get a, a morsel of news out of Jaguar while you were there, and it it revolves around the fact that if you ever happen to pick up a copy of Wheels magazine and look at the entire all motor for that matter, but mm-hmm. in the back of Wheels you have uh, data bank and it'll show you all the variants that are available of every JLR product, including Range Rover, Land Rover, and the Jaguars. And frankly, there are too many. Now, what's the news? So. JLR has a staggeringly complex uh, range lineup. The uh, there are forty E Pace variants, fifty Velar variants, nineteen XF variants. Well, so it's a, crazy. That's absurd. It is absurd. How customers are meant to know what they want is, and Jaguar agrees. It's reading between the lines. It's kind of been an international dictate, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, but starting with the new XE, they're going to massively rationalise their range. The new XE goes from eleven models to two. Oh, wow. So my obvious obvious question to the JLR people was, was this the start of uh, rationalising the rest of the range? They said, yes, we want to focus on what customers want, the actual models they want. We want to yep. simplify the process. We want them to be able to walk into a dealer and go, a good chance the car they want is actually already on the showroom floor. If not, we can get it for you very quickly rather yeah. than a customer walking in going, what the hell am I doing? Exactly. I, I, I don't like this. I liked, I liked it when they you could have any trim with any engine it was like the mcdonald's create your taste <laughs> menu that they they savagely took away from me and, i want and french just, fries in my yeah, chocolate sundae they, they rationalized that down to five just this, these these horrible classic things i don't i didn't like it and i don't like what jackie were doing now i'm sorry i think this what this has highlighted is that at one end of the spectrum you have the yes you've got the budget kind of you know off the shelf this is what you what you get but then a luxury car manufacturer says that choice is the key to being a premium brand. Mm-hmm. Jaguar has taken that to a hyperbolic level and now it's realized it's possibly pushed that too far and it's winding it back. And that is great news because, you know, ultimately it comes down to, to the customer experience. And if you can't decide which one you want, then you, then it's no good for anyone, is it? Because you're not going to buy a Jaguar or a Range Rover. I think it discriminates against scrotes like me who just want the most powerful engine in the cheapest <laughs> possible car. And if you're happy to drive a left-hand drive version of something, then you can have that now. Yeah, absolutely. As long as you have three hundred and what is it, forty thousand dollars? Yeah. Bargain. Small problem. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. We'll have plenty more coming up for the next instalment of Witch Car Weekly when and if we choose to come back. It is Easter after all, and who knows what can happen. Uh, if you have been a loyal listener, then thank you very much. We'll have plenty more coming up after the Easter break. In the meantime, do feel free to get in touch via all our social media pages and the website, witchcar.com.au. Catch our show on Channel 10 on Sunday afternoons. And in the meantime, do stay safe on our roads. And if you can't do that, then do let us know because it makes us all feel a little bit more human. Until then, my name is Daniel Gardner. Catch you later. Happy Easter. Hmm.